Shall we consider the practice of of the Buddhism, Buddhadhamma? Then this is encapsulated in the in the Four Noble Truths. This is the the sutta we chanted this evening. The sutta on the Four Noble Truths. This is the I would say this is a kind of the full encapsulation of the teaching. Um, <clears throat> so the Buddha said, in sim- simply, I teach dukkha and the stopping, the checking, the arresting, the ceasing of dukkha, dukkha, incompleteness, unsatisfactoriness, suffering, stress, wrong, wrongness, disjointedness, things not feeling in true, then this, the stopping of that and the stopping of that is very important to remember because sometimes people think that you know, Buddhists are really miserable because they're always talking about suffering and it proclaims suffering that life is suffering, everything's suffering um, <laughs> well actually it's, it's twofold, there is this and then there is the stopping of it and the stopping of it is the eightfold path so that in terms of what we actually do, is that what the Buddhists believe in, you probably say, you know, belief isn't really the right word. Belief really comes from the old word meaning to, to be, have allegiance to, or to belong to, or to, it's like to love, or to, to be beloved of. It's a kind of close affiliation to, so the nearest thing to that is the Eightfold Path. That's what we, that's what we cleave to, that's what we adhere to, that's what we steer ourselves with, the Eightfold Path, the path out of suffering, path out of stress. This is, um, this is a very full, full teaching, actually, because it covers you know, just about everything, you know, things that are kind of basic uh, assumptions one makes to the way that one's mind works, to the way that we bring that forth in terms of uh, thought and speech, the way we bring that forth in terms of action, and the way that we train train the uh, actions and our uh, psychological and mental behaviour. So it kind of it covers everything from the microcosmic movement of, of awareness to its full activation and to really then contemplating what is what is attention, what is psychology, what is the mind, what is awareness, what are these things? Mm. What is what, who are we? What, what are we? This kind of these are very powerful questions and very powerful and rich practices. And you consider just that um, to, to be able to remember that the Eightfold Path, Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, just even to be able to remember that and hold that in, in, in mind. What is life about? Life is about Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path. What, what am I going to do today? Today I'm going to practice the Eightfold Path. You know, that, just to be able to conceive like that, it kind of gives the mind some moorings, gives the mind some kind of uh, focus. Because of course, if you haven't heard that teaching, then you know what are you what are you going to do today? What, are you, what is your life about? You know, uh, you know oh, well, um, you know, it's suddenly it's kind of it's you realise how how your your emotional balance, your attitudes, your intentions, your way you what you feel about yourself really depends upon what reference you have to what is real in life. So if you don't have any kind of reference to a, a spiritual path, then what do you refer to yourself in terms of? In job? In country? You know, what do you refer to yourself in terms of? Probably most, most people would just keep changing the reference. So in terms of their material goods, um, their job, their health, their job prospects, their future. Just keep, you know, the only way to establish a constant reference is by moving around through these things. So, you know, 
Mm-hmm. What does your father think his life is about? Mm-hmm. Well, play golf. Um, you know, go down the, the race track once a week, play golf, have a good holiday, nice house, dig the garden, go on till you drop. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's like that, isn't it? If you, you know, if you don't, what do you, what do you, and then your life is based upon how well these things are functioning, how well these things are going with you. Golf's getting any better with your garden, producing roses, whether your job is steady and secure, whether you, you know. And then you see how how vulnerable those are. The Buddha said these are manifestations of the the winds of the world, the world. And in the Pali language, he, the Buddha played on words. So he used the, I can't remember exact Pali, but there's a close a Pali word that means to crumble, and it's sort of close to the word for world. And the Buddha once said the world's called the world because it crumbles. And I kind of use English pun and say the world is called the world because you get world around in it. And it's a similar kind of, I mean, that's what it is. So it's that whirling of your golf, your garden, your job, pension, holiday. You know, this is so even if it's all right temporarily, you know, it's so unstable and all these things are terribly vulnerable, aren't they? But then if you haven't got anything else to conceive of, then what do you do? You conceive of God, heaven, life after death. You know, people kind of form, conceive, bring up those particular notions, maybe, you know, to get some sort of reference that stabilizes. And those references, actually, just in terms of creating some stability, have their uses. So, you know, these people who, who have some kind of belief in God or life hereafter or whatever, there's a certain steadiness in them, certain stability that does give them something that, that kind of means they can, they can crystallize, they can kind of, you know, constellate, they can actually establish themselves. So I remember there was... Um, when we lived when we lived at Amrawadi, there was a couple down the road, and they were Christian scientists. And then the Christian scientists, one of their things is they have total trust in God and in the healing power of God. So they would use kind of pray to God and, and visualize things like that to, to for good health. And then one day the the woman and they said they they determined never to, not to go to doctors. What these men just to trust, their, have faith in God and so on. One day the woman, the wife, she had a stroke. So she was laid out with this stroke. And she didn't actually die. She was kind of laid out with it and then she had to go to bed. But she wouldn't go to hospital and she wouldn't go to a doctor and she just said, you know, if the, if the Lord wants me, I'm ready to go. She was something in her 60s, I suppose. She said, if it's time to go, God wants me to go, I'll go. And she just stayed with that. And uh, she died in about ten days later she died. And, you know, you can think this is kind of foolish. But uh, just actually being with that woman with her strength of mind, the strength of purpose, strength of faith, was was quite uplifting. She'd got a kind of value that actually, you know, provided her with some strength and some calm and some peace. So she wasn't agitated and worried about dying. And she wasn't getting a flap about it, and she wasn't being heroic about it, she wasn't being maudlin and emotional about it. She was just, this is it, it's the way it's going to be, that's the way it's going to be. So, whatever you like to think about that, just it's quite, you can notice that, that, that having some kind of, you know, religious reference is tremendously helpful for people. And perhaps this is one of the, the values of, of religions, whether you particularly believe in their ideology or not. They can give people a tremendous sense of, of strong reference beyond the, the fragmented world of circumstances. I mean, you know, I don't, certainly don't always admire those things because you know, God, God can do some funny old things. God can say it's all right to go out and, you know, hack to death a thousand people. <laughs> and so, so it can also be used as justifying kinds of fool, uh, well, immoral. And um, actions that don't seem to 
bring round the cessation of dukkha. But in Buddha Dharma, then your reference is to that, the cessation of dukkha. That's your God, if you like. So, what do you believe in? You, you know, what do you refer to? I refer to the cessation of dukkha. And this is better than referring to enlightenment, nibbana, ultimate truth, really, as far as I'm concerned. You know, those things can be uplifting to the mind, the deathless and nibbana and ultimate truth. They have their value. They can be very beautiful and joyful um, reflections. But perhaps for my, my mindset, what is more useful is stop suffering. Not, not, not suffer, not hurt, not feel hurt, not feel worried, not feel I've done something wrong, not feel left out, not feel rejected, not feel intimidated, not feel put down, not feel that I am intimidating other people. <laughs> Don't feel like a clumsy oaf. Um, these would be nice things to have to 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 not have to feel. <laughs> Don't feel like a useless parasite, and so on. <laughs> I mean, I know if I could just stop all those, that would be probably I'd be quite contented with my life. It does give you something that you can actually get witnessing at close readings on, readouts on what's happening for you, that where, where you really feel connected, where, you, where, where life touches you at that nerve ending, if you like, just in case you can keep your awareness of, on that. And there's the recognition that, that you're not just helpless, but no, the, at least the, the mandate the Buddha presents, the kind of, is, is that. You know, no matter what the, apparently the world can throw at you, if you really get on top of it, you can disconnect the experience, you can disconnect the suffering from that. You know, I was ill, accused, um, mistreated, and so on. You can stop that. So that, that this is the Eightfold Path. Well, it's like the present, presentation of it is of a wheel, so this very much gives one the, also the kind of, um, when you conceive of it that way, then it gives you the way of looking at it as this is, when you see a wheel, then all the spokes in it count. It's not like a ladder where, you know, it's, it's a wheel so that the, every factor in a way is dependent on every other. You can't take one out, the wheel would collapse. So it's not like we get sort of low stuff and then we get to the high stuff. It's all kind of related. And uh, so in one of the suttas, the Buddha said, when, you, when you're talking about samadhi, which is considered to be the eighth factor of the path, he said this, this really depends upon right view, right effort, and right mindfulness. You know, these, these stay with it throughout. And then he talks about the cultivation of each path factor. That's right view, right thought. Um, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, in terms of the of these these three particular factors: mindfulness, view, right view, and right effort. And right view, um, there's two aspects. Uh, first, is it called this the kind of mundane or or aspect which which is required in order to give you this reference point, you know, so that you actually connect and become whole. You're not kind of fragmented into what you do on Sundays and what you do on Mondays and golf and work and so on. You've got a, you know, a continual thing that pulls you together. It's a thing that establishes, if you like, a proper sense of self, you know, inverted commas, self. So you've got, in other words, you've got a continual reference point. This continual reference point, which... You know, for one of a better word we call self, is basically karma. That is, when if you do bring forth good, you get good results. So you bring forth good, if you act in good, if you think good, if you say good, then you get good results. Saying good is general, doing good is generosity, um, renunciation, um, and so on. These kinds of things.
the so this is the you know this kind of theme underlies it all. And the first aspect of the of that when that first way that's brought into practice is in terms of uh, the second path factor, right? Samasankapa, which sometimes, for quantum a better word, is translated as right thought, but it really means the right mental activity or deliberate mental activity, right intention or right intent. So it involves the kind of that which is formulated in the mind, right? the formulations of the mind. Um, you know, thought is, is not bad, but really the important thing about it is it's it's not just it's not it's a kind of purposeful um, patterns of formulation. Um, so the Buddha said of these, you have the um, form two particular that is skillful and unskillful, and unskillful are thoughts associated with cruelty, um, with greed, with cruelty, and with ill will. And greed is the, the acquisitive, covetous, acquiring, want more. Cruelty is really a kind of like a hard-heartedness, an insensitivity, dis- which we can see if it's not necessarily cruel, is, is not interested, callous, dismissive, don't bother me, I don't care about you, that kind of Attitude is just kind of hard, thick-skinned um, insensitivity, which can manifest in terms of cruelty or just a kind of this dismissive, hard-edgedness. And ill will is, is direct um, actions or thoughts concerned with bringing forth. Um, you know, when it, so cruelty is like is an insensitivity, an inability to receive anything properly, and ill will is when you actually bring forth. Anger, malice, spite, um, and so forth. Venge- vengefulness, sourness, these things. And so, that, and obviously, right intention is the opposite of those. You have also in, in this, you have the kind of mechanic mechanics of, of this intention, which are thought, conception, vitaka, and um, reflect it, reflection or evaluation, which are so these, if you like, are the, the tools of that intention. A particular intention takes over the mind, and then thoughts are conceived in line with that. So, if you say that your sun, your sun cup is almost like your, your over, your driving mood, your basic mood as it's cooking, as it's coming up, and it's a mood or intention of goodwill or ill will, and then that can carry or be triggered off or be conveyed through particular um, determined thought processes, conceiving things and then evaluating things in that light. And as you, as you recognize when the, when the mind, when there's a kind of bad mood, then you're, you're in a bad mood, then things are conceived of in that irritated, negative, cynical, bitter way, and one ponders them in that way. So when you, it's like that, you're, in a, you're kind of your mind is in this state of ill will. Then you tend to conceive things. You see things. You, and what you actually pick up the things that correspond to that. You see how this person is late, or this person doesn't help, or this is broken, or that doesn't come on time. You see that in your mind can, kind of forms these, and it, and it, sti- it fixes those particular things as reality. And then it reflects and ponders on them and mulls them over about why they shouldn't be this way and how he's always like that and why that never works and so on. And so that process then, of course, intensifies the, the general mood. And um, as we probably all experienced, how these, these things can just go on and on and on, recycling and, and, and regurgitating themselves. So that this um, this is when it's within the right right thought or right intention is when there is a mind based on goodwill. Your mind is set, or the, the awareness is set in terms of renunciation, in terms of sensitivity, in terms of of kindness. So the mindset is set that way, and we begin to to 
see things in that light. Right? This is something one can let go of. This is something one can abandon. This is something that one can actually sympathize with, feel fellow feeling, feel empathy about. This is something one can actually bring forth some positive healing or helpful thought with. So you see that then in that light, then what would seem to be the same external circumstances can produce radically different results. You know, you, you can see things that, that are blemished or flawed. You can feel the feeling of, oh, I'll just let go of my attachment to that or my expectation about that. When you see the uh, kind of people's actions or you may have, when you, can, you, know, you feel that sense of disappointment and irritation and you can let go of that, relinquish that or hold it. And then instead of judging, you can feel a sense of, of empathy, like you know what it's like to, to, you know, what it's like to be a human being, to make mistakes, to be oppressed, to be overwhelmed by things, to be caught in moods and feelings. So there's a sense of sensitivity to that. This person's in a bad way. She's really upset. He's like this. And then they're feeling, instead of just, no, stupid idiot, shouldn't be like that, and the feeling of, more like empathy, you can relate to it, and then bringing forth some kindly um, way of, 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 of a kindly thought. So then you cultivate the path that leads out of dukkha for yourself and others. And it's important to recognize that's the same thing. So, you know, if I'm in this situation and I experience all kinds of negative perceptions of people, then being, you know, the, being kind or, or sensitive to them is really actually lessening my own suffering. It's not like just doing everybody else a favour from some tremendously altruistic position. It's just that if I hang on to those feelings and those moods and those negative, cynical, fed up, you know, nobody treats me well enough attitudes, then, you know, And just to recognise that, that 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 apparent reality can be is is up for change. That the world of of incompetent people, the world of bad mannered people, the world of um, confused people or whatever is really dependent upon one's own mindset. One's way of conceiving it. And it's noticeable that when one is in a, you know, when you feel confident in yourself and, you're, and you feel happy in yourself, then, you know, and if you've really cultivated properly, then the, the inadequacies of the world are things you feel a sense of, of compassion and, cons- and concern for rather than irritation. Just consider, like, how we take it so much for granted, but why should anybody else's defects, why should that cause me suffering? How do I make it my problem? How do I pick it up? How do I get offended? How how am I so vulnerable and offended by other people's doing things? This may seem to be something we we have no say over. But to one who cultivates the path, at least bear in mind that it's possible. Perhaps if you don't actually have control over it, it's possible to to not experience it that way. To not be offended, miffed, let down, wounded, and so on. So that's that's the kind of you know just to even recognise that that that's that's the statement. To, to, it gives you something to, to consider and, and, and work with. So there's effort required there, and mindfulness required there, and right view required there. We have the view that, that uh, 
to bring forth, to not be trapped in, in, in the perceptions that we have, in the past that we may experience, but actually that, 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 that we have the possibility to, to bring forth good karma at this particular moment. And it has good results. And you lose that right view. Because we are so, the wrong view that we have so much makes us feel tied in to the apparent world and you're also estranged from it. You're vulnerable to it, it affects you, it, it jabs into you, it, it, you're, it, it, you receive it, you have, no, you have no say over that, you have to receive it, but actually you're impotent to, to do anything about it, to change anything in it. And that's the kind of, that's, that's the wrong view. That's the view that, that lurks in the mind of many people, most people. They then articulated it. Their actions are, and their behavior actually comes from that, and their experience is of that, of being vulnerable and affected by the world and yet somehow impotent, unable to, to really make much of it, get it going. You can kind of carve out little bits of safe territory here and there, but mostly it's it's a kind of desperate experience. Because of course there's always association and affirmation of the reality of the perceived world, of things out there, and some of the practices is really looking at and affirming the reality of. Um, Perception, thought, feeling, karma is a reality of what comes through me, what I do, how I act. This is this is the thing that one should be most associated with and most fond of, so that whatever possessions one has, and you look at that very broadly, wherever one lives, whatever one is associated with in terms of environment, situation, people, physically, big, small, old, young, sick, well, healthy, and so on, the most important thing, the lasting thing, is what you do, what you bring forth, what you do with it, your karma. This is the thing that goes on. And the aspect of, other aspect of right view is this um, recognition or this reference to many lives to future lives so when this whole body thing drops away then the karma continues so you, know, you don't necessarily believe that at least just to kind of put that there as a reference to, 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 to cause yourself to consider perhaps if you don't believe in a future life just think in terms of well, 20 years time 30 years time or 10 years ago you know, we can, we can actually acknowledge that. And then ten years ago, you know, how real that, that situation seemed, and how totally gripping that was, and how much one seemed to be that person with those people doing that thing, and that's what one was. At that time, you conceived your life in this way and that way, and then maybe ten years later, and then just extend that, say, twenty years, twenty years ago. 30 years ago. Yeah. You know, what was it like then, 30 years ago? What would it be like in 30 years' time? So that all these things, that our uh, bodies changed, the people we were with has changed, the occupations we're doing have changed, probably even our worldview has changed, and what we consider important and urgent 20 years ago, you know, the way one looked or what was happening in the world of fashion or, you know, this particular domestic crisis or another, and, you know, it seems so real and, and binding and biting. And now it's what? But what is significant is if you keep, if you build up the habit of the continual process of goodwill 
of letting go, of renunciation, of non-demanding, non-holding, and of sensitivity. That's 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 the thing that, that goes through, no matter what the weather of the light of one's life, whatever is kind of blowing through at that particular time. That's the most important thing. And certainly, if one follows the teaching of the Buddha, we should at least bear in mind and consider if there are future lives, or if there isn't a future life, this is significant. If there are future lives, it's even more significant. And the most immediate form, actually, of karma is mind. We can sit here saying nothing, doing nothing physically, and yet the mind can still be bringing up thoughts of ill will, bringing up thoughts of resentment, bringing up thoughts of jealousy, bringing up feelings of not being trusted, bringing up scrudges, bringing up can't be bothered. Or it could be bringing up something that's about letting go and about kindness and about aspiration. We can do this. You can sit here and, and, and do that. Or we can sit here and fester and seethe and feel utterly miserable and hate everybody. And remember all the horrible things that have been done and how we got left out of this, that and the other and never never got our share of this, that and the other, <laughs> ever. Well, we can sit here and think, you know, think things like when we received on here, you know, when we received alms food. The day before that, we received alms food. The day before that, we received alms food. You know, and so on, you know. And one, one, has got, one has been given a reference to the Dhamma Vinaya and the Four Noble Truths. So, you see, right then you can actually bring around a, a sense of contentment, joy, happiness, a feeling of confidence that, that your life is going well, or you can feel how miserable <coughs> it all is. So we can consider, well, you know... All those monks have disrobed. Uh, there's disrobed monks here everywhere. It's all going down, rotten, waste of time. Those nuns here came, oh, I'm taking off of my life to the sun, they all left. <laughs> you can't trust them. They don't have weeds. <laughs> you know, you can think of that, or you can think, isn't it great, all those people who, 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 who are still here, you know, until this time. The people who got ordained this year, wonderful. Or you can think of well, the people who disrobed this year and feel terrible. Or you can think of the people who left or the people who survived. Or you can think even of the people who left, that, well, they tried, didn't they? Yeah, they go for it. That one stayed for eight years. He was miserable as sin for eight years. He's still stuck in out. She was really psychotic, but she, you know, she managed to live under the vineyard for six years. <laughs> It's really wonderful, wonderful. And these monasteries are wonderful. You actually take on such a bunch of dysfunctional cranks <laughs> and make something kind of half decent out of them. It's wonderful. <laughs> well, you can think, oh, these places are just full of weirdos who dropped out and can't handle a proper life, you know. So that it's you know those those can be both be quite valid modes of thought. But in Buddha Dharma, you're not really, you don't really believe in thought. It's just a, it's just a mechanical process. You know, you can do you think about anything. You think the moon's made out of cheese, if you like. Well, you know, and it makes sense. The moon is made out of cheese. You know, it's a logic. It's a kind of sensible sentence as a grammatical construction, present indicative, subject object. <laughs> Passive voice. So, the, the, but then, because you, you understand when you meditate, you see, just thought can just do just about any old thing. It can throttle you. It can uplift you. It can convince you this person's out to kill you. It convince you that you know. Any old thing. People can think just about anything and believe in it. But then you say, well, what, what causes dukkha and what doesn't cause dukkha? What, what gives rise, what gives ground 
for hindrances that have that are not there. What gives them food for hindrances like like resentment, ill will, craving, dullness, doubt and worry, restlessness and agitation? What gives that food? And you know the most it's your thinking does that. And what gives rise to to joy and investigation of Dhamma? What gives rise to mindfulness? Thinking does that. Now I don't say you can suddenly think and be joyful, but if you didn't have that, that reference, if somebody said didn't say if somebody hadn't said to you there's a thing called mindfulness and it's about this and that and the other, then you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't have that kind of thing to focus on. So in ordinary man in the street, probably investigation of Dhamma is not a common thing. He hears, you know, in the canteen, in the calf, he goes for a cuppa. You know, he says, what do you want a day? I'll have a egg sausage, fried slice, and um, mindfulness, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Here's the old... Uh, Sati some pajama these days in, oh, not so bad, friend. There's <laughs> yours. No, doesn't hear that kind of thing. So certain words are just not, not available. What's about our taxes, what's on the telly, food, and so on, football. We've gone football crazy. Things like that. Sport. Sport, war, and money. And you're grumbling because of all those things you think you can grumble about, moan about, and it's not going right. So we can actually just even bring up the idea to be mindful. So that, just that thought, then feeds an intention, doesn't it? You've got a sort of something you can recognize, you've been taught what that means about, and then you can, that then, that particular thought, which in a way is just a sound, feeds back into your intention so then the vitaka the formulation of thought then actually stimulates that particular intention yeah I'll go for that because you can recognize that 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 associated with skillful karma it reminds you of that it sets that up and then when you intend that way then the mind in a way starts to then begin to review experience rather than get caught in it rather than attach to experience rather than want something out of experience so be mindful means contemplate feel it out investigate it witness it as a process you know witness it as something that, that comes and passes witness it as something that's associated in your body or in a feeling now that particular thing that so and so said now you've got notice Witness that as a feeling coming into your, arising in your mind and passing. Yeah. Experience it like that. That's what, so we get that particular reference. You know, just having that to, to, to set up that intention means that we are being given that um, possibility for not suffering, for not holding. When we say not suffering is neither suffering from being you know, overwhelmed by it, while suffering by actually having to kind of pretend it's not there and shut it out. So getting into that kind of dismissive attitude. Mm-hmm. But but not suffering because we see it just as something that arises and passes. Felt arises and passes. So these are tremendously valuable things. Mm-hmm. So in a way, yes, we we are sensitive, not denying that sensitivity, but you're not vulnerable. So these two aspects of mind, psychology, if you like, there's the receptive, the sensitive, which in some ways to an untrained mind is just very fragile, Vulnerable both from external influences, from what people say, what people, way people look at you, from internal influences, the way you look at yourself, when you think about yourself, <laughs> even from things that you kind of half remember or, or 
feelings of guilt, feelings of worry, shadowy experiences of inadequacy, funny dreams, funny moods, very vulnerable. That's the sensitivity of it. And then there's the, if you like, the the active principle, which is the you know what we bring forth, not what what our what we receive, what's sometimes called the unconscious, then there's the conscious activities of the mind and how they are um, can be <coughs> inarticulate, inadequate, can't, set, can't, can't express what we mean. Um, so the, the sort of suffering of those, these two aspects of it, and when you cultivate the mind, then both of those aspects are are cultivated. Just notice the kind of the the, the difference between them. Now, when you you're in a community, then you begin to experience, if you like, the the active stuff that comes through people. The way they speak, the way they speak, is a fair representation, probably a slightly, um, you know, kind of censored version. Of what they think. <laughs> what does come out is what's thought. I mean, there's probably all kinds of things that are thought that don't come out, but what is said, so that you experience that. And that's what you judge the person to be if you, if you make immediate judgments, what you feel them as. So and so said this and that, and he speaks like this, and she says that, and she goes on about those topics, and she says that. And so that's what you feel them as. You feel them as, as that side. And it's um, so you can easily form judgments of people like that. But really, it takes a long time to, to get any actual accurate reference to another person because you don't know what their sensitivity is. This is something you don't, sometimes you don't even really consider what that is or, or have, a, have a way of, you know, a concept for that. So you think this person is a person who does this and says that and acts like that. And you don't... But in yourself, when you consider yourself, you're the person who feels this. We can experience ourselves as what we feel, our sensitivity, our vulnerability. This is what I feel, this is what I am, is this. Other people think that what you are is what you say. Or what they feel you say. So a lot of the confusion arises because actually, really, even though I say kind of all these things, I'm really a very kind of timid, frightened, sensitive, wounded, poetic, dull chap inside. <laughs> I feel myself to be a kind of delicate little flower. And, you know, the other, you know I kind of say brutal, stupid things. <laughs> You know, come very strong at times, like, like that. Yeah. And so everybody then starts relating to you as the way you speak, and it's it can be completely a variance with how you experience yourself. So they're they're relating to somebody who you don't you don't know why not come with me like that. Is it you feeling like that? But this the enormous gaps between other people's perceptions of you and your perception of yourself. You're not understood. So you experience yourself as your receptive side, other people experience you as your active side. And if, the, if there's not a con- continual reference until the jitta is made whole, those two are variants. And the first stage of practice is when those two come together, you've got a continual reference point, if you like, you've healed, if you want to use another term, you've got a whole self. So there's a consistency and a continuity. What you, what you manifest is what you feel. You don't have any fear of manifesting what you feel, because what you feel has been cleared. It's okay, it's harmless, it's, it's fine, it's, it's all right. You're not anxious about it, you're not nervous about it. So what you what you manifest is what you're sensitive to, and where you're at. And that takes quite a lot of doing because um, in the meditation, if you like, the active side 
starts to look into the receptive side and there's a whole coming to terms experience there, isn't there? When your thinking, speaking, doing mind starts to look into your receiving sensitive heart. Like that. And then your sensitive heart doesn't like necessarily like that. Your 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 mind bit can be quite judgmental. Have all kinds of ideas about what's going to be. And maybe all kinds of game plans about well this will do this 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 week and then by next week we'll be at that stage and so on and so on and so on. And then you know, your sensitivity doesn't work that way. But the learning process of a meditator is often this realizing how the whole system has to be, you know, each side of it has to be tuned and taught by the other. So you realize you can't treat yourself like that. It doesn't work. You can't treat yourself in the way that your, your thinking brain has been trained in a social functioning way. That's probably one of the first lessons we begin to learn. That it's not going to be a matter of, well, knock this out in a couple of weeks, I'll do this and I'll do that, and I'll get rid of this and I'll become that. It's not going to happen that way. That's, that game plan is not relevant. First of all, you have to listen. Listen deeply. First of all, you, you have to start to witness these, the, the, the things on sensitivity just as it is. Come to turn, really recognize it. Just like learning to, to understand somebody else, first you've got to actually got to stop judging and just start to receive. What's this about? You know, it takes a long while. It takes a long while to stop immediately judging and classifying and categorizing people and yourself. Just, well, I feel this about it. That feeling, cause you, that feeling comes and goes. As long as the reference point is what I think and what I feel, then this harmony never occurs. So what I think about you is the first thing we begin to recognize is, is off. What I think about myself and what I think about you is the function and the taste of thought. What's it based upon? Is it based upon letting go? Is it based upon sensitivity? Is it based upon kindness? Is it based upon non-suffering? Or not? A lot of the time it's based upon anxiety, need to be need to prove, and so on, in, not, not wanting to feel things. So very much in the, in the community life, it's just learnt, trying to learn to, to look at the way we conceive people, the way we actually think of people, the way your mind actually can pick up and form concepts and percepts of people and things that are saturated or tainted with some kind of suffering and they will only perpetuate that suffering and the big training is how convincing that is because your mind is immediately the percepts are immediately convincing and immediately real that you can actually see things another way without just kind of fudging the issues, you can actually see things another way. You can see the, the, the good side, the kind side, the things that a person's let go of. Or you can see how it's better to th consider that aspect. You can, you can see that, you can do that. And of course then this very much pays back into the way that one conceives witnesses, watches, judges, opinions about one's self. So just to recognize we have a choice over what we think. 
and what, and what, you, what you conceive of. Of course, the, the, we can very rightly say, well, you know, it depends on how I feel. Um, but just to, to realize that, that the sensitivity of the mind and the thinking process of the mind are codependent. Yes, yeah, it depends upon what you feel. But what you feel also depends upon how you, what you think about, what you pick up, what you see. You two just keep meaning to get, you have to break it somewhere. And very often it's difficult to break it at the level of, of if you like, the unconscious or the sensitivity. But you can, you can, because that's, that's, if you like, that's, that's the result. That's the kind of thing that you, you, you inherit. That's what you receive. You, so you can't change that immediately. But you can change it at the level of what you do, what you bring forth. So the basic teachings recognize that you can't change the vipaka, what you inherit, what you pick up, or what you receive. But you can change the kama. You can change what you bring forth right now. So you receive something unpleasant, you receive an unpleasant perception, gives you an unpleasant mood, feeling, but then you recognize that, and that's the point where the process of effort and mindfulness acknowledges that, you let it go. Mm-hmm. You can recognize, you can feel that as a feeling, you can, you can recognize that as a perception of feeling. This is where, of course, effort and mindfulness are supreme. And then, now you, then at that moment where you're not, you don't connect to that, apart from through witnessing and experiencing it, you don't actually act upon it, and you have the chance to then, you cut that point, then stop. You know? And then, is there a possibility to actually bring forth a skillful comma? A skillful thought. I was looking at the way that the Buddha talked about anger, for example, and there are two particular, seemingly two approaches to this. Um, and the first, it's quite, that I think I've mentioned before, and other people have mentioned, comes when uh, the Buddha uses these series of similes, either the Buddha, or I think it might have been Sariputta, actually, and talks about, say, so, you know, you, like the person who goes along and uh, is thirsty and they see a, a pond with weeds growing in it. And actually, it's got a bit slimy, and they sort of push the weeds and the slime away so they can get and drink the water. And he said, this is the example of, you you know, something you see or a person you see, and you see all these unpleasant qualities in that. And you push that aside and you drink the water. So that you recognize, well, but he doesn't drink, you know. <laughs> or you push that aside, well, he doesn't beat people up, you know. <coughs> and uh, he did this, or she did that, or... She tries, or that, you, you know, you push aside that which is stained and you go for the purity. And it's a succeeding series of images where he eventually gets down to, you know, something like the, the amount of water in it that's in a cow's hoof print. <laughs> so, you know, it's his person, obviously, is not stacked with virtue, but still you can just about get a little enough on your finger to taste something good in it. And so this way of, of deliberately kind of seeking out the good and pushing aside the bad. And another uh, approach that he used was um, saying, um, this person has done me wrong. But what is my expectation? This person is doing me wrong. But what is my expectation of him? This person will do me wrong. But what is my expectation just that kind of thing. Now this is more like um, training the sensitivity. Just as a thinking mind and a ways of, of thinking about each other can be out of touch and not recognize the, sensitiv- the sensitivity, similarly our sensitivities can be out of touch with, with uh, um, the manifest world. What I mean by this is that we can set up, find ourselves consciously or unconsciously setting up ideals of the way things should be. 
that then actually are sources of suffering. Expectations, very high standards and values, become dependent upon a uh, uh, kind of level of, of, of sensitivity, kindness, generosity, scrupulousness, attentiveness, purity, that you know is actually a matter of our internal aspiration rather than related to the activities of the world. And this again is probably uh, particularly a monastic complaint or monastic disease, whereby you know, in, entering into a monastery, we living in a monastery, we start to feel you know that that um, think you know that that this, uh, our sensitivity gets over um, indulgent. So then we're always getting let down and offended because of uh, the roughness, you know, things seem to be rough or crude or brute or, or, or confused, because we have a particular kind of inner realm of sensitivity that we actually are asking the outer realm of action to, to, to fall in line with. And it always assumes that one's sensitivity, which is what one feels oneself to be, is actually accurate, appropriate, and um, you know is to be in, um, is on the right track. When sensitivity of the mind is often affected by neuro- neuroses, you know, a mildly neurotic is the I don't want to put that as a pejorative term, but sensitivity itself is not pure. You can't trust it anymore. You can trust the thinking processes. Living in monasteries, then, you know, I've seen this quite a lot. One time, this monk had this feeling that people were passing messages around by coughing. So somebody go, (coughs) and he think that was some kind of secret signal. And then somebody on the other side of the room would go. You know, and he felt they were talking about him, this kind of coughing thing. <laughs> so every time this had happened, he'd feel this tremendous feeling of being, you know, criticised or blamed or laughed at, or, and he wouldn't, couldn't, you know, it was it was really than true, um, you know. And then you could pick up some comments. Somebody would say, "Say, oh, I left it here for you." He talked to me, and he'd feel that somebody talked to me in a dismissive manner. And say, oh, I left that, left that for you. And it, to him that sounded like, get out, go over there. You're just like a dog, you know, because it wasn't it was put like that. Uh, and we can probably experience that again in some of the conflicts that we can have in a monastery. You know, you went, you went somewhere and you said, oh, this is for you. And somebody felt that you just been, they'd just been um, shouted at or treated in a kind of dismissive way. He just came in and said, this is for you. <laughs> he said, no, I didn't. I said, this is for you. No, you didn't. He said, this is for you. <laughs> no, I didn't. I just said, this is for you. <laughs> and you gave me that look. What look? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that, you know, these sorts of things. Uh, I remember a monk, or with Vinny, I remember a monk who, like you have this, some of these very refined vineyard rules whereby, like if you have your, your monk's bag and then maybe you have, say, toothpaste or aspirins in it or something, and then there's some people feel that if, if a layperson moves that bag, then you've got to have all that re-offered. That has been taken out of your possession, so you have to have that re-offered. You know, and so, yeah, perhaps, well, point, refined point. And some people go to the extent where the baby suddenly touches it. You know, then they've got to have the whole bag re-offered. So they get very, very conscious of, people took my bag. (laughs) 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 You know, so so this one, we're always very angry. And this is an occasion when somebody just kind of walked past and touched his bag. 
And he jumped in his person and you touched my pad, it's gonna be reoffered. And you're thinking, yeah, this is about establishing purity, right? <laughs> This is, it's like, you know, you've got so much sensitivity out of any kind of refined points that it, it's, it's got neurotic. You get neurotic about vinyas standards. And yet you can feel, you know, I'm really scrupulous because I'm incredibly sensitive to these points. And this shows how mindful and sensitive I am. But it, it's, not, it's not in keeping. It's out of tune. It's not right. Because it, it doesn't fit in with, it doesn't, it's not able to respond to the way that people speak and think and act. So the, the sensitivity, and it's also not in touch with the way that I, the person themselves speaks and thinks and acts. If you're being so sensitive, notice how, you know, a person could say they're very, be very sensitive and actually come out with the most kind of angry, <laughs> malicious statements from their, from their wounded sensitivity. <laughs> you ever experienced that? I think, I think we're, you know, when that happens to any of us, when my, my kind of thing that I'm very sensitive about gets touched, and I kind of come up and cut some kind of cutting, bitter, cynical comment that slashes somebody down, and then you know, I, I think this happens quite a bit. And in the sangha life. And the more, I mean, so the, and the more that we focus in that way, and not even noticing there's an enormous discrepancy between what we think and bring forth ourselves and what we expect and receive. No one isn't really whole. So also your sensitivity has to be trained by learn to understand, you know, this is the way people think, this is the way people speak. The way people act. This is the world of action. This is what happens, you know. It's like that. You're not kind of fellow dusters and candy floss. It's not angels in Tala Tinsa. This is planet Earth with these meat hunks lumbering around. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it works both ways, doesn't it? When you, when you, think, you, when you tell you think, you try to think. You see things ways that are clear, there's no intention to be cruel, no intention to be dismissive, no intention to, to bring forth any ill will. What you receive, also to be responsible for that. Do you set up a kind of a perceptual world that actually is then always making you feel irritated and let down and everybody else is getting it wrong? Is it something that you begin to take responsibility for? You know, and clear it clean it so that you're, and if you're mindful of the movements of the jitta, of the movements of sensitivity, of, of what it expects and it's, you realise really all its expectations that it sees, expects to be fulfilled by other people and by other people's actions and other people's, what other people say are only ever going to be fulfilled by yourself your own Confidence, your own trust, your own warmth, your own vitality is the only thing that's going to really satisfy that, that mind. And that's possible. It's only possible to do. To live in harmony with oneself. And the big, the big pass mark is can you live in harmony with other people? If you can't live in harmony with other people, you won't be able to live in harmony with yourself. You may think so. If these people weren't here, I'd be all right. But you, you try it. And you see how, you know, you haven't learned this, and be honest. Well, it's like your girlfriend, you're only in six hours regurgitating what happened last year, and now this isn't you. <laughs> is that what living in harmony is about? Picking up the kind of little troubles and faults and things like that. Well, only in harmony with oneself, essentially. If in harmony with yourself, you know the feeling, the thought, the impression, you know the, the hunger in the mind, the sense of loss, 
the longing, any the the, the looking for for warmth or affection, looking to be something, achieve something, and you understand those, and you can begin to to fill that with your own metta, with your own wisdom, with your own panya, with your own faith, and then you really don't. You are living in harmony with the world because you don't perceive the world in that way, in that needy way or that defensive way. It's just just this. So what you then think, what your mind actually picks up and articulates doesn't have to be aspects of dukkha. This is, of course, you know, tough, long process. But then, you know, it's the, the, just to articulate that, so, you know, bear this in mind, and the, the ongoing mark of it, really, the ongoing practice is one of tremendous patience, because it's, it's that patience is the ability to take, this is where your, your sensitivity is trained, just through patience, the ability to, to, to allow, to, to open, to, to feel, and to, you know, to, to be able to forbear and patiently endure what the, what the twisted up, confused sensitivities of the mind bring up. But it's not anybody else's thing. You can't expect other people to be telepathic and totally attuned to, you know, one's own moods and feelings and blah, blah, blah. And you can't believe in what you think about other people, but you can—you can't refer to those as fixed viewpoint, as fixed reference points. What you refer to is mindfulness, right view, right effort. That's your—that's your point. So you don't have to feel kind of totally lost either. That's where you—that's where you build yourself around. That's where you build your chitta around that. Not taking a stand for or against thought. Not taking a stand for or against sensitivity. Patience is the is the is the teacher. Patient forbearance and good karma. This is the teacher. Oh, for this being reflection.